Sean McLean. Get Coach's Corner. You're listening to the Rugby Coach's Corner podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. For someone to explain. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. Okay, welcome to episode number 24 of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer. Uh, this is a uh, two-part episode on uh, pre-season strength and conditioning uh, programming that I did with Keir Wenham Flat. Uh, you might remember Keir from episode seven where uh, we, we had a chat about his role with the uh, Argentina Pumas uh, during the World Cup. So shortly after that episode, I contacted Keir and um, we did a, a bit of a Skype chat on uh, some preseason programming for uh, for one of the one of the teams that I coach. Um, I'm I'm not from a strength and conditioning background, uh, but I really wanted to tap in on um, Keir's expertise. Uh, so we had a chat um, about the programming for this specific program uh, for this specific team, and uh, it just turned out that I, I thought it would be a great great. Uh, podcast episode it's not your normal podcast episode so it's not actually an interview it's more uh i bounced a few emails back and forth with Keir explaining the situation i was in um, he and i then had a conversation and he pretty much led the conversation uh from there so so for the strength and conditioning geeks out there it's probably one that you're going to really enjoy uh, for the others i hope you can get something out of it. it it was a nice blueprint that that Keir laid out for us obviously um circumstances change and the situation uh, that you see before the season uh, doesn't actually go exactly to plan so we had to adapt uh one of one of the players was actually the the lead on the strength and conditioning uh i just did the initial consultation and then handed it over to him and uh we we bounced ideas back and forth throughout that uh pre-season area yeah so so he added his own touches to it um there was a few key components that i wanted in there as well and um you know, it wasn't the perfect rollout, but I think uh, from a theoretical point of view, it's a good resource for coaches, and uh, that's why that's why I thought it'd be a great idea to to share it. I've broken it up into two parts. Uh, I didn't want to have a one hour podcast. Uh, people might tune out for that, so it's uh, going to be two half hour podcasts, and I'll release the the second part next week, so so people can uh, catch up on that. Uh, we also we also mentioned a couple couple books or one book in particular. So if you are interested in strength and conditioning. Uh, I can't recommend more highly Cal Dietz's book uh, titled Triphasic Training. As I mentioned, I'm not from a strength and conditioning background, but uh, it, the field definitely does interest me. So um, Cal's book I, I've read and I really, really enjoyed it. There's some really uh, good good concepts that come across there um, with regards to athletic movement and how, um, how we train in the weight room. Uh, needs to replicate uh, what we're doing on the, on the rugby field as well or any sporting field. Uh, with that in mind, there's also another great book that uh, you might be interested in if you're interested in strength and conditioning, and it's uh, Mike Boyle's uh, new book uh, titled New Functional Training for Sports. Uh, for those who don't know, Mike Boyle was, was pretty much the person who, who came up with the concept along with a few others uh, about uh, functional training for sports. So it's a, it's a good read, and uh, I'll, put, I'll put it up on the website as well so people can check it out. Cal's book is already up there, I believe. Uh, so... So you can check that out if you're interested in some further strength and conditioning reading. The website is www.therugbycoachescorner.com and coaches is spelled C-O-A-C-H-S. So without further ado, here is uh, part one, episode 24, Keir Wenham Flat, uh, pre-season strength and conditioning programming.
be on the other side. I, I outline my challenge to you, Q, if um, working with athletes who are um, amateur athletes, uh, essentially uh, they, their strength and conditioning work is going to be um, unmonitored due to you know financial reasons of, of the amateur game. And we've got quite a large prep period, but in there is uh, they, they're also playing club rugby and their club practices. I'm only going to see them um, 14 times over a over a 25 week period. Um, so you know that, and all that time that I see them is going to be um, skill work, um, tactics, or all, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, the, the challenge is um, getting these guys fit and fast and strong. Um, but with the, the the big challenge of not actually having them monitored during this time. Okay, uh, so they're not doing any of that physical work with you. No, there'll be there'll be an, an initial testing period. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna test them in on January ten, um, mm-hmm. and then uh, we'll there'll be some instruction there too. Go through the program with them. Go through some key lifts. Um, I really want to tie in um, Cal Dieter's triphasic stuff in there, especially on the squats. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I'll take take your advice on that for sure. Um, yeah. And and then they're basically I'm going to see them one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times again. Like it's basically twice a month I see these guys. Um, Is that up until the tenth of April? Sorry, that, that's right. Up until the tenth of April, where we'll we'll have another skill session, another practice session there, and that'll be our second kind of testing day. And then mm-hmm. um, I'll see them one, two, three, four. Five, six, seven times after that. Yep. And then the tournament is June 17 to 19. Cool. Okay. Right. So, um, if you're dealing with amateur guys, yep. you have to, obviously, you appreciate this already. Your, your time's really, really limited. Yep. So, you have to be as economical as you can. So, talk me through the rationale for your testing days. So, I don't want to, I don't want to get, um, I like I like testing a few lifts just based on like guys like to know uh, gives them a bit of a target, but it's not going to be like a selection kind of uh, vehicle or anything like that. I, like if a guy squats whatever three three fifteen or whatever, and then comes back and squats you know, in the two eighties, obviously something's going on there. But I'm not really kind of looking at that. I'm more like looking at giving them something to strive for for personal improvement. I, mm-hmm. I like the competitive environment of testing too. Um, the guys like it too. Um, I was I basically just wanted to do squat, bench, and st- and standing long jumps, a broad jump. Um, I, I I don't want to spend a lot of time. Um, I've got a I've got a venue that's got seven squat racks, seven benches, um, and we can set up like four or five uh, standing long jumps. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I reckon I can crank that out in about an hour um, with with 30, 30 to thirty five guys. Um, yeah, and okay. then and then I wanted to spend an hour on um, more instruction than anything. So you you got two hours in each session, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, like, I think it's good that you're you're trying to you're trying to get information that's going to change what you do because I always think the the purpose of testing, like specifically blocking aside time, yeah, is is that activity going to give you information which yeah. tells you something that you didn't already know. Yeah. Or is it going to get, give you information which changes what you were going to do? Yeah. So, and this, you know, I'm, I'm ignoring for now stuff like competition and motivation and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm ignoring that. But in terms of the programming, 
do you necessarily need to um, block aside an hour, work everyone up to a one RM in the bench or, or whatever RM it is in the bench or the, or the squat mm. uh, to get that information? The answer is probably no. Yeah. Um, you can probably put that into the context of a regular session yeah. and, you know, for example, get them to rep out um, on, on a final set. You can say build up to RPE X. Uh, when you get to that, give me three sets of five or whatever it is. And then you say, right, final set, we're going to rep out. And that's going to give you fairly accurate information um, that you wouldn't necessarily need to dedicate as much time towards. So then you just, Uh, you just put that into a one RM calculator and and convert it that way. Yeah. 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 And then you've, you've got that information, um, which is, it's, you know, it's maybe not as accurate as you would like it to be if you did a 1RM. Yeah. But the reality is if you're using this program for 26 weeks, it's going to be obsolete anyway by the end yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. So you've got that information, but you've not sacrificed an hour of your time, which is really, really valuable when you're dealing with amateur guys and guys that don't necessarily have the highest training age. Yeah. Uh, and then with regard to does testing give you information that is going to change what you had planned? And the answer is invariably... No. Mm. So for those reasons, I would warn you off it. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously you've said for the reasons that you've outlined already in terms of giving them numbers to shoot for um, in terms of motivation stuff, that's, that's the plus side. You have to weigh up how willing you are to, to spend that time in that manner. Mm. And if, for me, the answer is no. Um, just because in my experience, the motivated ones are the motivated ones anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the chub club in the front row, you can't really beat them up and get them to do what you want. Mm. Um, but it, it's your call. It's your call. I yeah. Think. Well, I like the idea of t- tying it in. And yeah. at least if they do, you know, if they do a 5RM, we convert it. It's, you know, technically testing. And if they if they want to go off and do their 1RM with a buddy uh, later on, that's that's... That's up to them, you know, and the keen as well. Yeah. 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 Okay. And cool. and and if you could, you know, I think if you can get information from the training process itself, that's a, a smarter use of the time that you have. Mm-hmm. So it might be that you program, for example, in your plyometrics jumps and, and medicine ball throw section, you program in for that first block of training, standing long jump. Yeah. And then you get the guys to do you know, sets of five, walk around the back, go again. You've got that information there without having to set aside and say, right, this is testing or this is training. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that would, that would be the first thing that I would say. Um, in terms of just like talking about the general philosophy and, and how you're going to program everything, I always think you have to go lo- lowest common denominator yeah. in terms of um, equipment. Mm-hmm. And you have to go lowest common denominator in terms of expertise. Yeah. Because it's great putting in there, you know, split snatches, all these difficult plyometric exercises. And, you know, you mentioned French contrast to me in the email. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's great if you've got, um, you know, highly intellectual players with a lot of equipment and a lot of time at their disposal. But as you mentioned, you've got guys going off to different environments where time may not be a premium. Uh, or sorry, available and likewise with equipment and yeah. you know intellect of players and stuff like that. So I would say keep it care to that lowest common denominator, and where possible you want to include exercises that have um, modifications. Yep. So not necessarily included in the program, but um, you need to have that information ready at your disposal. If and when they ask for modifications, you're able to give them. 
Yeah. So to give you an example, um, we had a player in the Pumas who by the end of his career couldn't even straighten his arm because he'd dislocated his elbow, he'd had shoulder surgeries and stuff like that. So we knew, uh, and by the end of it, he knew as well, whenever we programmed bench press, he was going to be doing closed grip dumbbell floor press, for example. Right, right. So just have little ideas about that, um, ready about how you're going to modify it, and that you, you may... You may just plan that anyway, or it may be informed by the injury screening stuff that you're going to go through with the guys. Uh, if, if you've got medics, you would go through it with those guys, and if not, you, you have to do it off your own back. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Um, in terms of structuring um, the – I think if we, you know, we can look at this kind of structuring the year, then structuring the month, structuring mm-hmm. the week, and then structuring the day. Yep, perfect. Um, in terms of the structure, you said you've got, uh, is it 25 or 26 weeks? So the, the competition itself is 17th and 19th of June, right? That's right, yeah. Okay, so working back, you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Yeah, okay, about 25 weeks. Yeah. So the way that we do it, or I do it, is. It's basically working backwards. Yeah. So just thinking pure physical preparation. So we're not thinking performance because then you have to consider things like, like tactical, technical, psychological, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. In, in pure physical terms, um, which athletes are the best athletes? And, you know, uh, it's never, unfortunately, or not, not never, it's very, very rarely, it is the biggest, strongest, fastest rugby player that's the best rugby player. Mm. The best rugby player is just the best rugby player. And by that, I mean it's those athletes who are able to take all of the different adaptations that have come before in the physical training yeah. and learn how to use them in the most efficient um, manner possible on the field of play. So you know, they're starting to develop movement strategies about when to work, when to rest, how to pace themselves throughout the game and so on. So that is basically what the final stage of training has to serve. You have to give them the opportunity prior to the tournament, uh, give them a learning environment that allows them to do that and learn how to develop uh, and utilize everything that you've given them in training. And I think you're looking at a minimum of about three weeks to do that. Okay. So if we consider that 17, 19 of June is going to be your tournament, I would be looking – your technical coach as well, correct? Yep. Okay, so if I were you, I'd be arranging a friendly game on the 12th and a friendly game on the 5th. Yeah, we've got um, – let me have a look. Um, you've got a training game on the 29th of May and yep. you've got another one on the 5th of May. We, yeah, we've got, um, we've got an internal trial on the 1st of May. Um, yep. And then uh, two weeks after that, there's um, a planned game. And then on uh, the last week of May, there's a – our kind of main game that we're, we're building. And then there's three weeks before tournament. Okay, cool. So if we consider up to three weeks prior to the tournament, that would be kind of your, your starting 15, ever getting realistic amounts of game time. And it's against um, opposition who, who aren't from within your squad. Yeah. that's If you consider everything that comes before that, that would be like heavily rotated, you're not necessarily trying to give them large amounts of game time. You're just trying to give them enough game time that you see what you want to see. Yeah. And it serves the purpose of selection more than it serves the purpose of preparing the players. Yeah, that's, that's what it is, yeah. Cool. Okay. So then if you work backwards, in the time that you've got, you've got 21 weeks of preparation right there. 
Okay. Yeah. So working backwards from that final stage that we've talked about, the best athletes are the best athletes, the ones that know how to work, went to rest and all that stuff. But if you go underneath that a layer more, you can obviously say that an athlete who possesses more of the physical and technical abilities that underpin their position yeah. is going to be better in their position. So, for example, if I'm a prop, that means that I need large amounts of limit strength or an eccentric strength and isometric strength and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. If I'm on the back, it means I'm going to need large amounts of speed, reactive strength, um, speed strength, and so on. Mm. And obviously, the, the patterns in which I exhibit those are going to vary according to position. So underneath that or prior to that final block of training, what you're going to need is a block of training where your focus is switched towards the development of those abilities. And because it's... Uh, a central nervous system intensive block of training, uh, you're going to struggle to do more than uh, four weeks consecutive. You're probably okay. going to need a deep load in, in that four. So if we work backwards four weeks, one, two, three, four, that gives you, let me think. Give you some, yeah, it's the 24th of April to the 22nd of May. Okay. That would be kind of like a positional specialization block. Then, so go again on those dates. Sorry, so the dates I've got here is 24th of April, and that will give you one, two, three, four. Oh, sorry, pardon me, first of May. Okay, yeah, all right, first of May, yeah, and that will give you a four week block of that. Okay, and you can program a little deload in that final week on the 22nd of May. Okay, all right, sweet. Okay, so. Now, what if you do, if you go back a stage further, um, you know, are maximal strength, maximal power, and maximal speed directly applicable to how an athlete performs in their position? And the answer is for certain positions, yes, Mm -hmm. and for certain positions, no. So, you know, if you're a prop, does maximal velocity really matter? The answer is no, not really. If you can just push and be world-class at that, you can make a living. Yeah. Likewise, if you're a winger, does it really matter if you squat 60 kilos if you're running 12 meters a second? No. Answer, no, doesn't really matter. Yeah. But we know that amongst maximal speed, strength, and power, with that, you lay the foundation for the development of those position-specific abilities down the line. So, for example, if I just become as strong as possible in my lower body in terms of concentric strength, that's going to lay a foundation for me to develop isometric strength as a prop. Okay. Or if I develop good general power Output, for example, in the jump squat, that is going to lay the foundation for me to develop more power in the sprinting action mm-hmm. as a winger. So that is, that is the, the next block working backwards, and that is the development of general maximal outputs, so speed, strength, and power. And again, it's a, it's a central nervous system intensive uh, training activity, so you're looking at a maximum of four weeks. So that would give us, um, it would be the 24th of April, the... 17th of April, the 10th of April, and the 3rd of April. Okay, yeah. 3rd of, yeah. Oh, okay, yep, I see you. Yep. Okay. 3, 10, 7, 8, 24. Yep. So, the, the final piece of the puzzle working backwards is laying the foundation for all that stuff. Because if we talk about the kind of training that develops maximal strength, maximal power, and maximal speed, mm-hmm. that's really central nervous system intensive training. You have to train in a maximal fashion to do so. Um, you need good technical ability to do so and you need good uh, preparation in the body both in terms of work capacity and in terms of uh, tendon strength, ligament 
strength, muscular size, and so on. So the training that comes first is you have to uh, lay the foundation and mitigate for injury risk to earn the right to train in that fashion down yeah, the line. Yeah. So if we work backwards from the 3rd of April, you've got 1, um, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, say 12 weeks. Yeah. Okay? That's quite a long time. So you guys yeah. are going to get bored. Yeah. So what you can do is, is you can, you know, I would say anything – that you're training high amounts of central nervous system stress, which is the stuff that we've already talked about. So general maximal outputs, specific positional outputs, and the, the kind of peaking phase, you're going to be training high CNS stress. Yeah. You probably train up to four weeks for each of those. And then once you start to get into the, the general training, laying the foundation, you're looking at about up to eight weeks. I think six is, is probably the maximum that you want to use. Okay. So if you say you've got 12 weeks right there, yeah. what you could do is you can go into – Three blocks of four weeks each. Okay, yeah. And that would give you four weeks of preparation. And if we count the first week, 10th of January, as a week of, uh, block of preparation, that would yeah. give you four weeks of preparation. Then you can dip into a bit of strength for four weeks. And then you can go back and do a tiny bit more of that general prep work. And that is going to set you up for the remainder of everything that you do that year. Yeah. Okay, sweet. And would you? would that be – I suppose you'll talk about that when we – break it down even more like you're you're splitting Absolutely. that positionally um so the only time that i personally give position specific exercises is the the final two phases of training yeah. okay so at that point everything's general and the exercises that you're selecting are probably more to do with um technical ability mm-hmm. athlete preference and injury history okay right. so that's your kind of general overview yeah um, and then if you kind of – if we talk about what are, the, what are the characteristics of the training in each stage of that plan, um, we have to kind of introduce this idea of um, developmental load and retention load. Okay. So are you familiar with like the, the, the inverted U response of the body to stress? Yeah. Okay. So you know that – there's a minimum amount of stress that you have to expose the body to in order mm-hmm. to get adaptation. Yeah. You expose the body to more stress, you get more adaptation and more and more and more up to an optimal point. Yeah. And then beyond that, the biological cost of resisting that stressor gets bigger relative to the cost and you get less adaptation and less and less and less until you get to zero and then it keeps going down. You can actually get worse with mm-hmm. one session. Um, so, I mean, that's the important thing to notice about that is one that you're never going to make somebody a world champion in one session, but you can absolutely ruin them in one <laughs> session. Yeah, And the important thing to recognize as well is that the difference between the amount of stress that you need to develop an ability or to give an optimal training stimulus and the amount of stress that you need to just retain a stimulus. Yeah, and that's probably the area that I'm like really – like because I'm not from a strength and conditioning background, I, I – you know, finding that fine balance is, is the challenge yeah. here. Okay, so I can, I can email you some afterwards, but basically yeah. – what you need to do is say, what are all of the different training activities that we're going to rely upon during our preparation? Mm-hmm. And the, the list that I would suggest to you that you have is the one that you use, which is plyometrics, yeah. jumps, and medicine throws. That's one section of training. Okay. Then the next section of training, sorry, I should have said before that, you have um, 
linear speed development, okay. which obviously can be divided into acceleration and top end speed. Yep. We'll, we'll ignore agility for now just because it's uh, it's more of a movement skill uh, modality rather than actual physical stimulus. So, so no agility ladders? Not going to roll them out? <laughs> <laughs> that got me in trouble with Mike Boyle. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Never mind. All right. <laughs> we'll move on. <laughs> yeah. So you've got your linear speed. Yep. Then you've got plyometrics, medicine ball throws, and jumps. Yep. And those get grouped together mostly because they're reactive in nature and they're higher force, so um, force production at higher speed. Yeah. Once you've done that, you'll pad element. And this is what slower movement speeds, uh, higher loads, and it's generally barbell based. So it'd be things like the Olympic lifts if you want to use them. I'd advise you not to. Yeah. Uh, dump squats, bench press throws, push ups. So what, so what did you class these as? You just cut out a little bit there. I'd just call it traditional power development. Okay. Or maybe. Ballistic power development. Okay, cool. Okay, so after your traditional power development, yep. what you then got is strength development. So that's, you know, non-ballistic exercises, compound movements, high load, low speed. Yep. And then after that, you've got your accessory work. Okay. And then after that, you've got your energy system development work. Okay. So what you need to do, and I'll help you with this, is basically identify what is the amount of training that it's going to allow your guys to progress at an optimal. So the peak of that inverted U. Mm-hmm. And that's going to vary by who you're training, how long they've been training, what their recovery resources are like, and so on. But yeah. there's like there's general numbers for each ability. So that's your you know, developmental load. What you need then is to say, what is a retention load? So how much is the minimum amount of training that you can expose your athletes to and they'll retain everything that they've developed. Not progress, just hold on to it. Yeah, yeah. I found that interesting in um, triphasic training, the, the graphs he had with that. Yeah, so that's a, that's a similar similar idea basically of the, the, the micro-re-stimulation block. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. So then what you got to do is maybe establish some numbers in the middle. And the reason is, so... The what everyone does when they first start training is is called the concurrent approach to training. And Cal mentions this in the book as well, I think. So the concurrent approach is everything gets equal focus within your training yeah. and everything gets optimal volume. Yeah. And that's because when your body is really, really new and sensitive to the training stimulus, um, you don't actually need a whole lot of stimulus to develop. Mm. So like when you're 15 years old, it's a couple of sets of push-ups and you blow up like Superman, right? Yeah. <laughs> So when you're in your 30s, that's not the case because your body is desensitized to training. You need to add more and more stress to develop. Yeah. Well, what happens is once your body starts to desensitize and you have to deliver more and more and more stimulus to each of the abilities that you're trying to train, sooner or later, you outstrip your ability to recover. So that means if you deliver enough training stimulus, you either overtrain or you don't actually deliver, deliver enough stimulus and your body stops developing. Mm. So that's why CrossFit's stupid, all right? Um, <laughs> so the solution is, once that happens, you have to come up with you know, a, a logical or, or methodical periodization approach. And that is to say, what am I going to treat as a priority within my training program right now 
and how much more resources can I dedicate towards it in terms of my, my time and effort and recovery and so on. So and then everything else has to drop down to a maintenance level. Yeah. So you're saying like you wouldn't do a mixed session where say they do a warm up, they then do some Olympic lifts, they then do some strength stuff and then they push a prowler around for a bit. Like you're no, saying, no, no, you would. Yeah. You would. Because there's, there's still a need to train everything um, in the program at all times because mm-hmm. of the, the nature of rugby and, you know, the needs that they have. They need general development at all times. Yeah. What I'm saying is, for example, if you identify for your athletes and say, right, for um, linear speed development, we know that the, the optimum amount of volume for them to perform for sprints is 10 reps, right? Mm-hmm. And we've said for plyometrics, it's going to be six sets of really intense pliers. And for power work, it's going to be five sets. And for strength work, it might be eight sets of three, for example. And then for accessory work, you know, when you're in a really heavy hypertrophy phase, it might be that you're doing five sets of everything or, you know, even high German volume training if you've not got two brain cells, right? (laughs) And then if it's ESD, um, you know, a really heavy developmental uh, protocol for VO2 max is four by four by four. Basically, you suffer and hate yourself for four minutes, you rest for four minutes, and then you repeat for four sets. That would be an optimum day. Mm, But if you've got to the stage of training where you can't hack that, you need to start saying, well, what is our focus going to be? And it might be, for example, if you're in a position-specific block close to competition, you're going to emphasize as much as possible um, speed, plyometrics, and ballistic exercises, and then you're going to relegate strength Mm. and accessory work and energy system development work to a maintenance load only. So now it might be that you do 10 sets of sprints, six sets of pliers, five sets of power, which are the numbers that we talked about before. Mm. But now you're just going to do one set of strength and then you're going to go one, one rep shy of failure. And then you're going to go to one set of accessories and then you're going to do like five minutes of VSD or you might cut it out completely. And then okay. what you've done is you've taken your limited capacity to recover and you've focused it towards the development of a limited number of abilities, which is going to allow you to continue to develop in that regard and then you've given all of the other abilities the bare minimum that you need to retain, and then that way you're not losing anything. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So this is why you want to structure, why I'm suggesting to you that you would structure the, the 25, 26 weeks that you have in this manner, because what it's going to allow you to do is, you know, obey some like basic principles of periodization. And yeah. basically it is you need to identify which um, movements and which physical abilities are more specific to the sport of rugby and which ones are less specific. And then obviously uh, those which are more general come earlier in the preparation. Those which are more specific come later in the preparation. And we've already kind of talked about what those are going to be. So, you know, the physical qualities that you decide are specific to athletes performing in their position will be emphasized later in the preparation then it will be just be general maximal outputs like speed, strength, and power, and so on in the middle. And then it will be the boring stuff that nobody likes to do, which lays the foundation in the initial stages. Okay. Um, what you also need to do is schedule uh, training means which are more uh, intense or intensive later in the preparation and ones which are more uh, volume-based earlier in the preparation. And that fits with what we talked about already. So yeah. you know, training... Uh, speed strength and power comes middle of the prep position specific power comes later in the prep and then you know full intensity rugby contact elements come last uh you can see that logical flow in terms of um stress and intensity um so that that general structure that you've got there allows you to to do that 
and structuring it in those four blocks that I described to you, mm-hmm. I would suggest to you that of all of the different physical abilities or sections that we've talked about, so, you know, your linear speed, um, plyometric jumps, medicine ball throws, ballistic power, strength, uh, accessories, and ESD, you can say, you know, which of these elements are we going to emphasize and in which phases of training. And then that will inform how much volume you use mm-hmm. um, to develop and how much volume you use to retain. And I would suggest to you that phase one, um, because you're trying to develop that, that work capacity, um, you, you're going to have developmental volume of, of accessory lifts um, and energy system work and probably um, strength development, but in lower uh, intensities. So yeah. me personally, my guys do between 70 and 85% for the first block oh, of strength development yeah you know yeah. we actually only, we only actually go over 85 percent to 100 percent for that second block of our year and that's it okay so you, you're focusing you're you're going to be doing mainly what what are you working on mainly there in that so what we're block? trying to do is we're trying to use the the accessory work okay. as a tool to to maybe build muscle or to lose body fat based on what we've identified there needs to be we're trying to address injury risk factors like muscular balance, mobility, stability, motor control, and so on. And we might also be looking for the development of local muscular endurance and, and work capacity in those movements. Okay. Likewise, in you know the, the energy system development, because we're looking to develop that work capacity, we'll focus heavily on that. Okay. So ESD and accessory work would be the main focus in that in that block yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, if you know, maybe if they've already hit their their lean muscle mass goals, they're in good body composition, uh, really good score in the FMS, good work capacity. It might be that we focus more on uh, sub-maximal strength development. Okay. I think what you need to do is, is look at the guys that you've got in front of you and the information that you've got and make that call for yourself. But I'm yeah. guessing that it would be the former, not the latter. Yeah, it'll, it, I, I would say we won't, we won't be doing FMS and we won't um... – you know, we barely have anything to monitor the guys on. Like, we won't be doing percentage yeah. body fat and things like that. And I mean, you can eyeball it. You know, if you've got yeah. guys that they're fat fox, then you, you don't need calipers to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They need to throw them in a pool in a harness to see how nah. much. How much. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. It, it, it's more that, you know, they are amateur athletes and, you know, yeah. they're, they're weekend warriors pretty much who are just playing in a representative side. Um, so cool. we're, we're going to have more more guys of the the former than the latter, I think. Cool. Okay, so then that would be your kind of block one. Okay. Okay, so there you have it. That's part one of uh, preseason strength and conditioning programming with Kiwin and Flat. Uh, As I said at the beginning of the episode, part two will be released next week, uh, episode 25, and we'll wrap up uh, those those blocks that Kiwin outlined and uh, we'll run through the processes that he he puts in place with his teams and uh, that I subsequently... Uh, tried and adapted uh, for, for my specific team that I, I was coaching. So I hope you enjoyed that one and uh, we'll catch you next week uh, with episode number 25, uh, part two of preseason strength and conditioning program. All right, cheers. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us on Twitter at RugbyCoachSCNR or via the website at TheRugbyCoachesCorner.com.
www.thepeopleshow.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.